Welcome back to Working in the Weeds. I'm Christine Krebs, the Education and Training Specialist out here at the Center for Aquatic and Invasive Plants. And as always, I'm accompanied by... Jay Farrell. Yes, the center director. And we have a guest today, Alex Dew. He's the program administrator of the Aquatic Plant Management Group for FWC. Nice to be here. Yeah, we're so glad you came to join us and talk today about the program and some exciting things that are going on. So, Alex, you represent the Florida Fish and Wildlife Commission. We're really excited to have you here today. But before we dive into the Aquatic Plant Management Program and kind of exciting things happening, can you tell our listeners a little about your educational background and what brought you to natural resources? Yeah, so... um, Growing up, I uh, always did a lot of hunting and had a love for animals. For a while, I thought, you know, I wanted to be a vet or something like that. And, oh, a, you know, a vet. Nobody ever wants to be a vet when yeah. they're in high school, right? Right. So, you know, those things merged together and really gave me a, uh, an interest in wildlife management, things like that. I started my undergrad actually here at UF and ended up transferring to a school in New Zealand because there are a number of international schools that are they're accredited for uh, the U.S., and you can still get your U.S. financial aid and all that stuff. So I looked into the school, and it was really good on natural resources, wildlife management, things like that. And it, it ended up being about the same price as studying here. So I was like, well, this is an opportunity for me to go to another country and um, so you and went to New study. Zealand during your undergraduate studies. Yes, so I transferred there and got my degree in New Zealand. So that's my undergrad degree, and being there um, really got me started with invasive species because that's one of the most torn up places in the world. And they are very aggressive on invasive species. Uh, import and control. Yes, and they are at the forefront a lot of times. I remember flying in getting off the plane into the terminal, and there were all these guys with beagles there sniffing everybody's bags. And uh, the guy in front of me, the beagle came up and pawed him. And the guy's like, I need to search your bag. And the guy gives him the bag, and he looks through it, and he's, he didn't find anything. He's like, have you had any fruit in here? And he said, I had a mango in there yesterday. The guy's like, good boy, and then walk to the next. So they're super aggressive about imports, exports, and all kinds of invasive species things because it's a very vulnerable place. They don't have but two native mammals at all. Yeah, everything there is non-native. Yes, every mammal that has been brought there is non-native. And since they haven't had a lot of larger herbivores, their plants are also very susceptible to herbivory. They don't have as many chemical defenses. That not only makes their invasive plants more prevalent, but also their native plants more susceptible to being attacked by invasive species. So I heard a story one time. There was an artist that had a a new CD they were shipping, and they received them all in New Zealand. And then they found out that as part of this CD flyer, there was part of it that was wildflowers that were pressed into paper, Mm -hmm. and and you would plant that paper, and it would grow these flowers. They kept them all in quarantine and would not allow any of those CDs to be distributed. They shipped them back to the United States. So that is how aggressive New Zealand is. My aunt once wrote me a letter, and she put a bird's feather in there. And when I got the letter, it had a sticker on it that said, has been opened by customs. Inside the letter was another letter from customs saying, we found a feather in this letter, and we took it out. 
Yeah. So this, for our listeners, remember the conversation we talked about how Florida is vulnerable like Hawaii and Australia. Well, New Zealand is also one of those poster children of mm-hmm. countries facing invasive problems. And so it's really incredible that you were able to bring your education from the beginning in the get-go with invasives and start getting that perspective internationally as well. Yes. So then the next step in my education was my master's. And that was another international experience because I got that in Sweden. However, um, the project I was working on was uh, for a plant that's invasive in South Africa. It's actually native to South Florida, from South Florida all the way down to Argentina. Hmm. This plant is native. And it's a big invader everywhere in the subtropics around the world where it's not native. And we ended up walking these transects throughout an entire game preserve in South Africa. And what I did for my thesis was take all of the management work they did and all that data and compared when someone walked all those same transects 10 years earlier to the data I collected when I walked the entire preserve and used the management data to see what was most effective and what conditions were the most challenging to manage in. That's really cool. So that really got me into invasive plants at that point. So you were working in Sweden, but doing all of your research in South Africa. The field work. So I, so I came back from four months in South Africa to the middle of Swedish winter and could just hunker down and crunch the numbers and write my thesis. It's a pretty big experience from a guy from Anniston, Alabama. Yeah. So it's very clear why you're in this invasive plant space from all that experience, particularly kicking it off in such an aggressive environment in New Zealand. So now that you are with the Aquatic Plant Management Group within the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission, tell us about what you do in that role. So I'm the administrator for the Aquatic Plant Management Program. And in invasive plant management at FWC, we have an uplands group and an aquatics group. And then we have, we call them subsections is how we divide out the programs, but we also have field operations and that's all the boots on the ground. They're organized there. So um, being the administrator of the program, you oversee a lot of the work statewide and you run the budget for it and try to organize the big picture things so that everything gets done throughout the state. So you're helping decide what happens when and where and how. Right. So every year... Our group is responsible for the work plans. We get together with all the biologists that are uh, in FWC, all of our cooperators and contractors, and work out what's going to be done, or at least what we think will need to be done for the year. And we organize that and then throughout the year make changes and adjustments to that and you know, go around and see what the need is and keep Well, talk a little bit about that process. So Florida is a big state. There's over a million acres of public water. There are countless invasive plants on most all of these water bodies, but you have to prioritize. So what happens? How do you decide what goes where and and how do you work out all of that that issue? Yeah, so we have 1.27 million acres of public water. And that's part of our program. That's 465 water bodies. And in addition to that, any areas that might impact those water bodies, we also have to be responsible for. So if there's a new plant in an adjacent water body that's not a program water body, we have to take care of that as well. But in terms of priorities, 
Um, a lot of that has been set into statute and rule um, in the past. And the way we prioritize is floating plants are first, then our next big invader, hydrilla. And these priorities are broken down into, you know, smaller divisions like go after new new things before you go after a, a big, huge population. So we have seven or eight priorities um, that we follow um, that are set set from rule. So this gets really complicated really fast, yeah, right? Yeah, trying and, to keep it as simple well, as possible. Uh, well, but, uh, that's clear. But, you know, these are the kinds of things that it's so hard to understand all of the different moving parts. And I think there's been some criticism of FWC in the past because it, they don't understand. And they're, it's hard to see all the things that are going on behind the curtain. Mm -hmm. So there have been concerns about lack of transparency at times. So... That is something that you guys have taken very seriously and you've taken head on. So would you talk a little bit about how you are addressing this transparency issue and what are you guys doing to try to be more transparent and more helpful and open to the public? So we've taken a lot of initiatives in the past few years. And just like those work plans I mentioned, those are all public. In fact, everything that we do in state government is public, but it's not always super attainable for the public. One of those initiatives uh, that we started in 2017 or 2018 is called What's Happening on My Lake. And there you can find those work plans. You can find the schedule of operations of when the, the biologist actually is ready to plan a treatment and it's going to happen next week. They put that on a schedule. It all appears on a map. The public can click it, look at it. They can see what the work plan for the year is, along with what we've done in the past, just all kinds of things where we're trying to get all of this information out to the public in a way that they can access it. Now, you said easier. a moment ago there's 465 Five. water bodies that are under your purview. Are all 465 on this website on what's happening on my lake? They are. So um, not all 465 will have a work plan because some water bodies, um, the RB which is a regional biologist, we call them Arby's, um, they go out and they survey it and everything's fine for this year. So it won't actually get a work plan. But we have another module on this same website that shows that survey. And every single plant that they encountered that's on our list for them to look out for is, is uh, listed when a member of the public can go to that water body, click it. Oh, I live next to this lake. What's there? Click. They can see the list of plants and if they even click the plant name they can usually see a picture if we have one on file. So how many Lake Jacksons are on the what's happening on my lake database? There are too many Lake Jacksons in Florida. <laughs> it gets very confusing. <laughs> there three? We only have three in our okay, program. That's what I thought. However, I'm a big advocate for the one in Tallahassee to be renamed to its original name, Okehipki, which means disappearing waters. There's a story behind that. It is a lake with many sinkholes, and it naturally fluctuates. Oh, that so right like now a future, it's in dry future. down condition. And uh, last year it got into extreme dry down where you could actually see one of the sinks. So everyone walked out on the lake bottom and looked down at the sinkhole and all the water rushing down as the lake was draining. So for some of our listeners, think about it this way. There's 
every lake has its own personality, right? Just like our Lakes and Landscapes episode. So taking that episode into account, but then also remembering the Invasion Curve episode where Dr. Prince talks about early detection, rapid response, long-term management, and all those different phases. It sounds like your agency takes all of those things into account and tries to communicate that with the public as the year progresses. Yes, and that's a very difficult thing to communicate because the work that we do, we have to be proactive and look ahead. We can't say, well, this doesn't look like it's a problem right now, so I'm going to ignore it. We have to think, okay, what is this What is this area likely to look like next year or in two or three months? It's really interesting and important that you say you can't just be perceived to do nothing, right? Because uh, Mark Warrior often says the most important lake in Florida is my lake, the one that I live on. Mm -hmm. So to show lack of interest can also be a lack of transparency or perceived as a lack of transparency. Right. And, and that's one of the big reasons why we still do an annual survey every single year for every single lake. There are a lot of them that the biologist has visited for year after year after year, and there have been no invasive plant problems on them. But we still want them to go out there at least once a year. Most of these lakes, they're on multiple times a year, but every single lake at least once a year to see what's going on and to make sure that everything's fine. So what's happening on my lake has been a big addition in a, uh, to the program. Is there other things you're wanting to add? What is your vision for that site in the future, or is it pretty well where you want it to be right now? No, this is going to be a continual work in progress because we have so much data across the agency that could go on there. And um, we created a team that consists of three members from three different divisions to review what data we have in the agency that could be applied to what's happening on my lake. So some kind of freshwater aquatic nexus. And so what other divisions are, are helping so with this? Freshwater fish, we have the Research Institute, and our division, which is Habitat and Species Conservation. And we all get together periodically and try to identify data sets that are out there. You know, our agency collects a ton of data, and not all of it really makes it to the public. So we see what's out there, and then we kind of conceptualize what's a way that we could display this data that it would make sense for the public. Because yeah. a lot of it's just in spreadsheets or databases or whatnot. Well, and it's meaningless numbers, because mm -hmm. sometimes you'll, you'll, you'll use one, two, or three to show very few plant plants, medium level or high level, but people mm -hmm. don't know one, two, three means yeah. low, medium, high. So it's it, a lot of times the data isn't helpful, so you got to turn it into something that's yeah. helpful. And then you also have to consider who are the main users? Well, we're actually the main users of this data because when you create a visualization for your data, that's very useful for you. So first it's you, and then it's other members in your own agency then it's interagency people that are interested in the same stuff. And then it's also the public. So creating a way to display all of that that works for everybody is quite a big challenge, but it's also a lot of fun because you really get to see the data come to life. Well, it helps everyone, right? Mm -hmm. If it helps FWC do their job better and it helps these divisions be more aware, then that helps the management of the entire system statewide. So it, that is, it's one of those up and down and sideways type of efforts. Yeah. 
Yeah, and data collection is very distant from data visualization, right? Like yes. that can span so many different things. And so FWC, particularly your group, works really hard to balance science with data-driven management, but then also public input and stakeholder needs, right? And so all of that coming together, what else other than what's happening on my lake has been seeing with your group to have, like increase transparency? So one of the big things is the spray tracker program. And this came about because we had a lot of stakeholder input where people were wanting to see more transparency and accountability of our contractors to make sure that they're doing the work that we're paying for in the right way. And, you know, we had a few ideas in the beginning that were way too complicated. And then just randomly, one day the light bulb lit up and we were like, oh, you can put this type of GPS with this component and you've got the whole thing done. So what we did was take a GPS system that's typically used in tracking fleet assets like trucks, taxis, limousines, stuff like that. Oh, like would be on UPS and FedEx yeah. trucks. Yeah, just there are a ton of them. There are so many companies that manage these things. Something that's right out of the box, pretty much what we need. And a lot of them have a couple of inputs that are just vacant. Like you can use them for whatever you want to use them for. Because they have inputs where it's like, I want to know every time he honked the horn. I want to know every time the the hatch was open because that means that the UPS guy is taking a package out. You know, so, so they're these, tracking things. So these companies primarily work with like vehicles and transportation, yes. but you saw potential for it to be put onto boats and airboats right. and really in the water where yeah. these where this work is happening. Well, and integrate the sprayer as well. Yes. So the only addition we had to incorporate was a flow switch. So it's this little brass switch that has a paddle on the inside. And when liquid is flowing through it, it flips up and makes a connection. So we connect that to the input. And when the paddle's up, it says spraying. When the paddle's not, not spraying. We've now rolled that out to all of our applicators. So this is on all of our contracts for the entire state. So how are you using that information? Because you, you said it's it's accountability, it's transparency. So how are you using it? So we can look at the entire state and see where everybody is and if they're currently spraying or not. And then I can also look back at past events and see an applicator's entire day mapped out, which is really cool because not only can we see the exact work where it's been done, but the applicators can also look back and see, you know, if they're trying to systematically work through an area, they can see how precise they were. Or, you know, if they had covered all the area that they wanted to cover or needed to cover, rather. So this program seems to be helping internally with project management and kind of seeing the productivity and accountability, but then also helping the public understand and answer questions, right? Like it helps external communications as well. Yes. Yeah, so so this isn't something since we're tracking people. It's not something that the public can have access to directly, but they can request for us to pull information. So if they saw a boat they're concerned about, we've had several instances where we have looked up the tracks for that boat and said, here, you know, what they were doing, you know, from the angle that where you were was not actually what was going on. And, and this this is what they were doing. So now you can see that. It can help inform concerned citizens about what was actually happening on that lake that day. When were they actively managing that plant? And when were they just driving around monitoring the lake and, and checking it out, right? Right. Or were they going to 
parked their boat for lunch. And, you know, they were in an area that they weren't actually treating, but it's a good place to stop because there's an actual bank they can get up on or whatever they need to do. So you can now see where they were traveling and where they were actually treating. And back to that data collection sort of conversation that we had about what's happening on my lake. One, this data comes to you in the form of like Excel sheets, right? Like data spreadsheets. It's not like a pretty map that comes to you, right? So this is actually real-time data. Uh, and I can stream it straight from the database of the GPS company and see where everybody is. It's updated every 10 seconds. So I can I can look across the state and see what everybody's doing at that moment. And it, it helps also for our contractors to keep track of their people. There have been a couple times where one of our contractors said, oh, these guys are about to get stuck out in the storm. And, you know, he called them and then he can see them where they they actually pulled to the side and make, made sure that they were on land and he could see exactly where the boat was while they were riding out that storm. Wow. So helping with safety in. even in the field then, too. Yes. And hopefully we can expand this um, for safety for our own people as well. You know, there are a lot of applications for stuff like this. For instance, you can hook it up to your kill switch. And if the kill switch is pulled, it'll send a text to somebody. Things like that. What is a kill switch? On the boat, you have a little tab connected to a elastic wire, I guess you can call it, that you clip to the boat operator. And if they hit something, get thrown off, if that tab gets pulled, then the engine's cut off. So basically, it would show a man overboard scenario. Yeah, yeah, and it could send a text immediately when that happens. So that's something that we might work on in the future for our own safety. Um, but yeah, the, the applications for stuff like this are endless. And uh, for this whole effort, what's really exciting to me is the research potential of this type of data, because for years and years and years, we've been collecting data on a lake-wide basis. So I can say, oh, look, this record shows that we did four acres of work on Lake Okeechobee. Well, Lake Okeechobee is al almost half a million acres. Well, now I can say, in this meter square, this little three foot by three foot area, this plant was sprayed at 247 and 36 seconds yesterday. Well, and it sort of goes back to your your master's research, right? We know what they did back then. We know what they did now. And then you can start integrating over time and yeah. start looking at the progress of these management plans. Yeah. And now, I mean, we have other data that we collect in the agency that is on such a small scale, like our fisheries data where they drive a particular transect and we know which fish were caught when on that transect. We have plant data where it's done with sonar off the boat. So you take like a fish finder and you collect data using that. And the sonar that the fish finder puts out actually tells you what plants are in the water column, not the species or anything, but how many are there. And we also have data where the biologist will go on a grid, point grid system. So every 100, 200, 300 yards, they'll take a sample and they'll go back to those locations every single year. So we know that precise point had this plant here one year and this plant here the next year. And now with our management data being such fine scale, we can match that to that data. There's a lot of research potential here now too. Yeah. So this technology seems to be working really well. It's impressive. I think there's a tremendous opportunity to continue to grow it. So what is your vision for growing this technology in the future? So uh, other than the things I've mentioned 
where we can apply this technology to other things, one thing that I want to accomplish is some sort of uh, way for the public to interact with this data. So we've talked about what's happening on my lake and all the things the public can see there. My vision for the future would be to match this data with the data we already collect on our operations. So we know what plant was treated when and, and all of those details. Matching that up with this GPS data would be great so that we could have a map for the public to see their lake. They can zoom in and see little blobs of where the work was done exactly. Click on it and see what plant was treated, when it was treated, and maybe even, you know, have some type of frequency like it was done twice last year or something like that. Or they can see, they can filter out a time range or anything like that. So really putting them in the in the know, mm-hmm. they've got the management plan, then they have ac- actually what happened and starting to try to link that up to what is happening on their lake. Yeah, I mean, currently they can go and see what's happened on the lake, but like I said before, it's lake-wide. So now they can see like, okay, well, I've noticed this shoreline used to be this plant. Now there are these plants there, and that's really cool. Did that happen naturally, or was that a management effort? Was that restoration, or was it because, you know, it used to be choked out with these invasive species, and now this other plant is there? You know, what exactly happened? And they can put two and two together on on their own. Sort of seeing the long-term benefit of plant management, that it is enhancing the ecosystem, and that there is this benefit that comes afterwards that we oftentimes don't really see right away, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people can recognize that when they're out, but there's so many things happening out there that it's not always easy to just put two and two together because it's not two and two. It's two times two square root of 147. And really linking up cause and effect can be really, really hard. Yeah. I mean, even when we're studying an area, that can be hard. So oftentimes people see something and they, you know, they try to form a conclusion on it. It's not quite accurate, but the more information we keep putting out there, the more people will have the tools to make the right conclusion. Sort of bridging observation with data. Yeah. And I mean, that's also fun for people too that are really interested in these areas to really dive into all the information about them. And, you know, when they actually do notice, oh, well, I'm looking at this data and, and and now I'm remembering that that changed. Okay, that's what it was. Well, and I'm hearing rich opportunities for a lot of graduate students in oh, the next yeah. five or 10 years. Yeah, that's for sure. So another thing with this uh, spray tracker technology is that we've expanded it more than just tracking spray operations. So we've put it on harvesting machines and taken those input wires and connected them directly to the switch that operates the conveyor on a harvest aquatic harvesting machine. So this big machine's out there scooping up plants, and when that conveyor is grabbing those plants, it flips to on, and when they stop, it flips off. So we know exactly where they've done uh, their work, and this helps other members of the agency as well because we do a lot of restoration with these harvesting machines, and for years and years and years, biologists have had to sit there and do oversight on these machines. And the biologists could be off looking for other areas that they need to do work in, but instead, due to the contract and and needing the oversight to make sure that the contractors are doing um, their job, they had to sit there. Now they can just 
look it up and show exactly what work was done. Let a satellite watch them. Yeah. And um, and we've put them on aquatic shredders. And we also have a way to insert helicopter application data as well. So really mechanical and chemicals uh, management opportunities to kind of see and compare and, and be accountable for all of it. Yeah. At this point, we've nearly got everything we do in our program tracked with these GPSs. So we'll be able to do research off of all of it. And we also can use them for oversight of other contractors that do stuff other than herbicide spraying. With a big safety piece there as well. Yeah. So it's called Spray Tracker, but it's so much more than that. Yes. So we talk a lot about transparency, accountability, and data collection. What else is your team working on so that this kind of flows well with internally and externally with the public and biologists? So yeah, well, as we've mentioned before, a lot of what we do is pretty hard to communicate. So we've actually hired a new position this year that's a public information specialist. So our new public information specialist, her name's Robin, and she'll be responsible for doing a lot of the outreach specifically for our section. So what a lot of people may or may not know is that the agency has a communications team, but that they have to communicate things for the whole agency. And a lot of times... And it's a massive agency, by yes, the way. So that's anything wildlife related. And... Uh, we have a lot of things that we need communicated. As we talked about, this is a you know very complex subject. So we hired our own public information specialist to kind of pick up some of that slack. So she'll be doing a lot of our outreach events. You know, going to different you know events that we would normally have a presence as an agency. And on top of doing that, work on on a lot of the the communication on social media or just outreach in general through some of our traditional means. Well, and as you were talking earlier, you have this raw data that it's really hard to interpret if you didn't collect the data yourself. Well, then you turn that into something that a scientist can use to visualize, but then you also need that to be turned into something that the public can visualize. Right. So I would assume that the there your outreach specialist is going to be helping get this information from the raw form into something that really makes sense and helps tell a story for you. Yeah, and not only just the one-off situations like a pamphlet or a post or something like that, but actually in some situations meeting the public to explain it because, you know, everyone wants like, okay, in three sentences, what's the situation? Well, some of that we can accomplish, but a lot of it needs a lot more interaction. A lot more time and effort. Yeah. Alex, thank you for coming in and chatting with us today because this transparency issue is real and we hear a lot about it. So we appreciate you really reminding us and if and also helping us explore the What's Happening on My Lake uh, website and the functionality that it currently has and what you're really hoping to bring. We also are excited about the spray tracker concept. Now, I'm not going to call it just the spray tracker because it is a whole concept, a data collection system that I think is really going to help people visualize what is going on, when it's happening, why it's happening, and help bridge some of these gaps. And then the fact that you guys have taken the step 
to really bring in professionals to help you with storytelling and integrating all of this into one place for the public. This is a concerted effort to really address these concerns, and I appreciate you talking to us about it today. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so for our listeners, Alex, is there anything you want to leave them with today? I'd like to offer that for you. Yeah, just if anyone wants any more information about our our program or what's happening on my lake, uh, they can visit myfwc.com or they can Google FWC Aquatic Plant Management. It should take you to the same place. Sweet. Super helpful. Thanks for being here today. Yeah, thank you.